Well, praise the Lord. Well, let's get right to the Word. Amen. Tonight I'm going to begin the first of, of a series called Knowing Our True Identity. I have the privilege of being able to share this for the next few weeks. So if you can stand me, <laughs> praise God, I'll try to be as quick as possible. But, um, but I believe this is a very important message, and I, and I believe God has a word for you. I believe that God has something for you tonight, a specific word. And so um, I want to help God to do that. So I want to start out by sharing a story. It's about a, a story about the, the daughter of the Queen of England. And apparently, when she sits, she slouches. And she sits very awkwardly. And this is in a public place. And, um, and, of course, she was an embarrassment to the queen mother and, of course, to the royal family because of how she was sitting. Because here's the thing, because she was behaving or she was not behaving in concert with her identity. By that, I mean she was not behaving in a manner that reflects who she is, which is a princess. So the queen got really annoyed by this. So she looked at her daughter and simply said, sit up. Don't you know who you are? And the reason why I'm sharing that with you, because it's just to make this point, if you forget who you are, you won't act like you should. I'll say that again. When you forget who you are, you don't act like you should. And it's important that we know who we are, because if we don't act as we should, then we're going to act as we shouldn't. And when we're acting as we shouldn't, we're not reflecting who we really are. We're not reflecting the fact that we are in Christ and that our identity is Christ. Our identity begins at the cross. And we are representative of God. We are ambassadors for Christ and therefore we are to Express who we are through our actions, through our lifestyle, through our attitudes. But if we don't know who we are, or we forget who we are, then we're not going to act as we should. And so the more that we agree with God about our identity in Christ, the more our behavior will begin to reflect our God-given identity. Amen? Amen? So I want to talk more to you about this identity. Before we get into who we are, I want to talk to you about who we're not. And the Bible says a lot about who we're not. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but, but I think this is important. And, um, and I know I don't have much time here. So let's go to uh, first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the very familiar passage of Scripture. But when it comes to forgetting as a Christian, it's a very critical thing. We cannot aff afford to forget who we are. Because what happens is that when we start forgetting who we are, and as I said, we don't act as we should, and if we're not acting as we should, then we become very vulnerable spiritually. And when we are spiritually vulnerable, then we can get caught up in the lies of the world, and the ways of the world, and the influence of the world. When we forget who we are, and forget how much God loves us, our life our behavior, our actions, our walk will be affected because then we're not expressing who we really are, our true identity. 
God wants to manifest himself in this world. And the only way he does that is through us. But if we're forgetting who we are and not acting like we should, God is not being glorified and God is not being manifested. Amen. And you know, it's, it's, it's sad because we have many Christians walking around not knowing who they are, forgetting who they are, and not acting like they should. And imagine if they all got on the same page and began to act the way they should act. This way they can express their true identity. And then Christ can be glorified. But our identity begins at the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now this, for me, is a very altering or life-changing verse. Because when I first got saved, I came with some baggage. How many of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> some of us are still dealing with some baggage. But I was dealing with some, some issues and some stuff. And you know how sometimes you make certain decisions and, and you pay the consequences for it? And you know, when you come into the kingdom of God, you're still dealing with those consequences. And it really affected my walk. It really affected me because I really felt unworthy. I felt that even when I was in church, I felt like I didn't belong here because of all the stuff that I was dealing with. And, and, I would, and, I would, um, and I would spend days and weeks worrying about it and, and agonizing about it because it really bothered me. And, you know, these are things that I couldn't change because, I mean, it is what it is. And so I would talk to my friends and, you know, they, they, really, you know, they did they, you know, the best they could, but they really couldn't help me. And so they say, well, you know, ask the pastor. So well, that's a good idea. But I was kind of reluctant about it because I was a little ashamed as well. So I decided, okay, well, you know what? I stirred enough courage and I said, okay, I'm going to ask him. And you know, when I asked him, it wasn't this long, drawn-out counseling session where I had to meet him several weeks. It was something very simple. And that was this verse here. He says, he looked at me. He says, old things have passed away. All things become new. And for the first time, it was like a light went on. And I was delivered that moment. Now, that doesn't mean that I, that I got rid of the baggage. It just means that now I can look behind and say, those things have passed away. They're not a part of my life anymore. All things become new. And that set me free. And this verse here, Paul is saying that all things are passed away and all things have become new. Now, I want to focus on the part where it says all things are passed away. <clears throat> what does Paul mean when he says all things are passed away? Well, he was talking about this, the old life, the old you. How many of you remember the old you? Praise the Lord. Okay, still a, a, a nightmare in your mind, huh? Still, still drawn in your memories. <laughs> Some of us want to forget who we were. <laughs> That's right. I won't go back. Well, the Bible says the old, that, uh, that the old things that have passed away is the old, your, your old lifestyle, your old attitudes, the way you acted, the way you lived. That's who you were. But Paul is saying that these things are passed away. Well, what does that mean? That means it's dead. Galatians 2.20, Paul says this. He says, I am crucified with Christ. You know what he's really saying? He's saying Saul, the persecutor, was crucified with Christ. Because that's who he was. 
And he says, in the life that I now live, my new self, I live by faith in the, Son of God, in the Son of God. So when he says that all things have passed away, he's talking about your old life, your old attitudes. That's gone. That's done. It was nailed to the cross. Christ Jesus took our sins upon ourselves, nailed it to the cross, delivering us from the very power of sin. And that old man is also gone. But how many of you know that the old man tries to resurrect himself to try to slip back? To say the most time that people forget who they are is when they're driving on the road. <laughs> right? Somebody cuts you off. And all some of these words come out of your mouth that shouldn't come out of your mouth. There was a time in my, um, when I was young in the Lord, I was, um, you know, I was full of faith and full of fire. And it was one of the most exciting times of my life. Because I saw God really working and moving and changing me. And um, in spite of myself. But it was also a very challenging time for me because, again, as I, I still was dealing with some, some baggage, that I was still dealing with the consequences of that. And I remember an old association of mine who I had to separate myself from because I was a new creature now. And, uh, and you, know how, you know some people who know you really well, um, especially in your past, and they know you so well because they know exactly which button to push in your life? Well, one, one day, uh, and I forget exactly all the details, but there was an incident where this person did or said something, and so I wanted to confront the person. So I went to this person's house, and, you know, me being a Christian, I'm going to handle it, you know, in a Christian way. And, you know, and, and, I, mean, I mean, I was angry, but I was going to handle it in a Christian way. And so we started talking, and this person knew that button, pushed that button, and all of a sudden... I felt from my belly rivers of living profanity that flow from out of my lips. Insults and all kinds of ugly things that came out of my lips. <laughs> and after I finished all of that, I remember storming out of the house really angry and infuriated. But you know, I was more angry at myself because in that moment, I forgot who I was. I forgot who I was. And that often happens. And, and the question is, why is it that we always forget who we are in moments of time when we shouldn't be forgetting? It's because many times we're not mindful of God. Understand that when we became born again, God promised to be with us always. And so we should, we should always be mindful of that. But when we find ourselves in a situation... We forget who we are, and then we begin to handle things the way we used to handle things. The old you. That's when the old you begins to, to start rising up and show itself and manifests itself and glorifies himself or herself. But Paul says this, all things are passed away, and all things have become new. The fact that it was passed away is because it's dead. It was crucified with Christ, and it was buried in the tomb with Christ. And so we need to remember that's where he belongs. But again, every once in a while, he's going to come in and try to creep in and show himself. But this is when we have to be more diligent and more vigilant in being mindful of God and walking in our newness. Go to, with me 
Romans chapter 6. And again, I'm just sharing with you tonight what the Bible says about who we are not. Before we can know who we are, we need to know who we're not. And the Bible is very clear about that. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says this. Therefore, we were buried with him, that's the old you, through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's where we are now. Walking in that newness of life. And how many of you know that's a challenge? To walk in this newness of life. Yeah. You can testify that, right? <laughs> but here's what I want you to see. When the Bible says that all things have passed away, it also means that the power of the old man has been broken. That means that the old man has no control over your life. That means that, the, that our love for ourselves is passed away. Our love for sin has passed away. Our love for the world has passed away. Our love for our earthly and worldly friends and other things are passed away. Because our life is new now. All of those things that we used to do, all the things that we, we to remind ourselves, we are not that person anymore. And if you ever find yourself slipping back to that old way, stop and remind yourself, no, I'm not that person anymore. Because when you do that, you're remembering who you are. Old things have passed away and all things become new. Go to Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> that sin no longer has any authority or control over your life. Unless, of course, you give it authority and control. In Romans chapter 6, in verse 11, it says this. Likewise, also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, it says, likewise, reckon yourselves or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. That means to, be, to end all relationship and all association to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the next verse. Therefore, let, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. What is Paul telling us here? He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. What does that mean? That means sin is going to try to rise up to gain supremacy and control over our lives. But you see, we have the power and authority. You know, the Bible says this, that we identify with him in his death as well as his resurrection. But we also identify with him with his ascension. And the Bible says that when he was ascended up on high, he was seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all power and principalities. Therefore, he's seated at the highest authority. And the Bible says that we are seated with him. That means that we share the same authority as him. So that means that any type of sin that tries to creep into our lives, or any time the old man tries to creep into our lives, we have the authority to say no. You have no control here. You have no supremacy here. You have no authority here because we have that authority. And I think we, we kind of forget that. But we have the authority to say no. We have the authority to come against anything to try to come against us, to try to draw us away from what God wants us to do. We are seated together with Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. 
And the fact that Paul is telling us not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies tells us that we have that authority to not let it happen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says this. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Any believer that tries to walk the way they used to walk, you might have to question their salvation. Because the scripture says that when we become saved, we became born again. And I'm going to talk to you about that. We're going to talk more about the newness of life uh, next week. Um, but when we became born again, the old things, the old years passed away. I remember when I first got saved, the things that I used to do, I didn't want to do anymore. And it's interesting how God sheds a certain light in us where we begin to look around us and ask ourselves, why am I doing this? And you begin to realize, I cannot believe I spent years of my life doing this. And it's done nothing for me except bring misery and pain. And God has a way of showing that to us and allowing us to see where we are and where we can be. And because of that, he brought us out and he brought me to a place where now I said, man, Lord, this is what I've been looking for all of my life. Having meaning and purpose and feeling free and just on fire and just joy and at peace. That's the change. That's the transformation. And the Bible says that the seed of God is in us. Therefore, it's impossible for us to practice sin. Now, that doesn't mean we don't sin every once in a while. And I'm not excusing that because, you know, we live in a sinful world. We live in this flesh. And every once in a while we do slip. And again, I'm not excusing that. But when someone makes it a practice of sinning, then you have to ask yourself, okay, is this person really saved? Because the Bible tells us, it's very clear, that we've been born again. Therefore, we have the seed of God in us. Therefore, we cannot sin. Look down in verse 20 of that same chapter. <clears throat> but you have not so learned him as the truth is in Jesus, the next verse, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. What I want you to see here is this. Not, uh, go back, 24, I mean 22. It says that we are to put off. The word put off means to put away or to cast off. And look what he says, concerning your former conduct. Now, wait a minute. We've just, he's just been uh, crucified. But yet he's telling us that we still have to put it off. That means that the old man is going to try to resurrect himself. So, which means that we are in constant need of having to put off, put away, or cast off anything that's not of God, anything that reminds of our former life, anything that dry, tries to draw us away and cause us to think the way we used to think and act the way we used to think or act and just be the way we used to be because that old man is dead and he should be dead in our lives. But the fact that we still have to keep it in check because it's going to try to come into our lives. Again, going back to the question, the Bible says that sin will not have dominion over our lives, but yet it does say that we need to put off the former lifestyle, put off the old man. Go to Romans chapter 6 once again. When we're talking about the old life and the new life. I like to use this analogy. 
when a man and a woman are joined together in matrimony and, and joined together into a covenant, they are putting off their life, their life of singleness, their independence. Because now they've taken on a new identity as a husband and wife. So they have to put away their old identity, which was singleness. Now, it's unfortunate that we have married couples today that still have this mentality of singleness. Especially where there are husbands who think they can just come and go as they please, act as though they can just come home whenever they feel like it, and don't feel like that they need to tell their wives where they're going or what time they're coming home. That's not a, a marriage. That's more of a business arrangement or more of an arrangement for convenience. But that's definitely not a marriage because the problem here is this. They refuse to put off their identity as a single person. And I can tell you that when two people are joined together and supposed to take on a whole new identity as one, but still has this mentality of singleness, that marriage is not going to last too long. Because they refuse to put away their old identity. You know, it's like, um, let me use this other analogy. When somebody passes away, you know, we, it's customary for us to hold a funeral service, you know, to pay our last respects and, and to say our final goodbyes, right? The trouble with many Christians today is that when they live according to their old identity, it's like hanging out at the cemetery way after the funeral is over. In other words, they still want to hang around the cemetery. Why would they want to hang around in the cemetery when there's no life? Because they don't want to put away their identity, their former life. And I've met many Christians that um, that I was witness to. Someone's, you know, they, they've just gotten born again. And, and, you, and you invest time with them and, and, and have Bible studies with them and, and speak life into them and speak the word into them. But they want to hear it. They love it. They want to come to church. But they still want to live their old lives. They want to have one foot in the church and then one foot out in the world because it's almost like they don't want to let go. So they want the best of both worlds. And that's not going to work. Because they don't want to lose or put away their identity. They don't want to take on this new, wonderful, fabulous identity that Christ has. That's because they've not tasted and seen that God is good. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Again, we're looking at what the Bible says about who we're not. And, I, and to remind them who they used to be. And it's interesting how in the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2 that he wrote that in the past tense. So let's look at that. Beginning verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead, therefore we are no longer dead, but we're alive. Verse 2 says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. The next verse. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now skip down to verse 12. 
that all that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Next, uh, let's see, skip down to verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So Paul starts out telling and reminding them what they used to be and then ends by telling us who we are now. And that's what I love about this chapter because it starts that out, but, but then it, it tells us who we are as of right now. It says, but God, but now, dealing with the present, but in the past, we have no, no past anymore. I'm going to go in a different direction here tonight. Let's um, go to Acts chapter 7. I know I don't have that in my notes, but if you can put it up there, that'd be great. Acts chapter 7, and I believe in verse 22. There is a huge identity crisis in the body of Christ. How many of you believe that? And the reason for that is because many have developed an inaccurate perception of themselves. I said that if we forget who we are, that we don't live as we should. But also if we forget who we are, then we can't fulfill God's will and purpose for our lives. And there are many Christians that are not living as they should because they do not recognize their true identity as to who they are. Let me ask you this question. If I was to ask you, who is Michael Jordan? Who would you, how would you answer that? Basketball player. How many of you agree he's a basketball player? How many of you know who Michael Jordan is? Okay. All right. You all agree he's a basketball player. But what if I would tell you you're wrong? Because you see, the problem here is this. Being a basketball player doesn't tell me who Michael Jordan is. It only tells me what he used to do. Right? So if Michael Jordan based his whole life and his whole identity as a basketball player, then who is he now, now that he's retired? A non-person? Does he just stop existing because he no longer plays basketball? No. See, and this is where so many of us make a mistake. Because we begin to define ourselves and develop an inaccurate perception of ourselves based on how we live, based on uh, our performance, based on what people say about us, based on what we can or cannot do. That's how so many people define themselves. And so when they do that, they develop this inaccurate perception of themselves and then believing that's who they are. And you wonder why so many children grow up becoming dysfunctional because of the words that were spoken into their lives. And as they grow up, they begin to believe the words that were spoken to them. And so they were misdefined if that's such a word. Let's look at Moses as an example. Oh, I did say Acts chapter 7, right? And was mighty in words and deeds. Next verse. 
Do you have another verse? <laughs> it's verses 22 to 25. Well, you know what? Let me read that. That's my fault, guys. I'm sorry. To... In verse 22, it says this. Uh, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Verse 23 says this. And when he was fully, when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. In verse 25, for he supposed or expected his brethren that would understand how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. It says that Moses was well learned and well spoken of. In other words, he grew up in a very, uh, very good culture. Everything about Egypt he learned. He was very cultured, he was very learned, he was very educated. He had all, I mean, he had it going on. As a matter of fact, he was also the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. So now he had influence and he had a great future. And he goes on to say in, uh, go back into uh, 23. That at 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And when he went to see them, he saw how oppressed they were. And as they were oppressed, he came to avenge them and rescue them by killing the Egyptian. Because he felt in his heart that he was called to deliver them. And he thought that they would understand that, but they did not. Now that tells me that Moses knew who he was and what his purpose was. Even though he was in Egypt and raised up by a pharaoh, I mean by, by the, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, and, and, and grew up in an Egyptian culture, yet he never forgot who he was. Now go to Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 24. Let me read that to you. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25 says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. It says in verse 24 that he became of age and refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The word refuse means to deny or to reject. Again, he knew who he was. He could have lived a life of Wealth, power, and prestige. But because he knew he was, he chose rather to suffer affliction with his people. He understood who he was. Because rather than living a lie and taking on an identity that was not his, he would rather suffer affliction and be who he was. So based on these passages of scripture, we find out that Moses knew who he was. He also knew the call upon his life. He understood where God was taking him. And of course, the timing was wrong. His timing was off. But nevertheless, he knew who he was. Now, fast forward 40 years later. Now go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And beginning in verse 7, 
says this, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Next verse. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and all the otherites. Next verse. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10. God, who am I that I should do, go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, 40 years ago, if God had asked him 40 years ago, go to Pharaoh and bring my people out, he would have jumped on that opportunity. He said, let's do it, Lord. Come on, let's just go after him. But 40 years later, and this is what I want you to see. After 40 years, you tend to forget where you're going. You tend to forget your dreams. You tend to forget what you, what, you, know, what you were called to do. And so Moses settled on a life of a sheep herder. It was a simple, well, I don't know if it's simple, but I mean, it was working for him. But that's what he did. And he settled in that, that occupation. And you know what? When someone settles in, it's very easy to get comfortable. When you're settled, it's very easy to, to, uh, to get into a routine. And when you're settled, it's very easy to get comfortable. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, unexpectedly, God interrupts his settled life and tells him, I need you. And I have an assignment for you. This is just a side journey here. But God likes to interrupt your settledness in order to shake you and stretch you for his next assignment. But when we get so settled, we don't want to go anywhere. We get a little comfortable. We say, like Moses, Lord, who am I? And we start making excuses. You see, God doesn't want us to settle. He wants us to always be in a spirit of readiness. Because you never know when he's going to interrupt your settledness and your comfort for his next assignment. Moses got interrupted. After 40 years, I said, Lord, you want, me, you want to use me now at 80 years of age? I'm about retired now. I'm, I'm happy as a sheep herder. I mean, I got my family. I'm, I'm getting ready to retire and go on a cruise. But God said, I got an assignment for you. And then Moses says, who am I? Because Moses forgot who he was. 40 years ago, he knew who he was. Forty years later, he forgot who he was. And you know, when you don't hear from God after 40 years, you tend to forget. And here's the thing I don't want you to see. That Moses gave God every reason why he's not the right man for the job. Because you see, Moses had an incorrect perception of himself. He saw himself as unfit, unqualified, and unworthy. 
And he gave God a list of things. Okay, Lord, this is the reason why you can't use me. So I think you need to find someone better. But here's what I want you to see. When Moses told God, these are the reasons why I can't do this assignment, God already knew that. It's not like God was taken by surprise. And as a matter of fact, because God can see ahead, God already saw the frustration that Moses was going to suffer by leading this, these people. He already knew how difficult it was going to be for him when leading these people into the wilderness. He already knew that there was going to be moments of frustration, moments of aggravation. There would be moments when he felt like, when he would probably think that, I wish I should have stayed in the wilderness herding sheep. He even knew that there was going to be a time when he says, Lord, I give up. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to die. He already knew all that. Nevertheless, God says, I've got an assignment for you. It's time to get unsettled. Get out of that comfort zone. Because the call that I had for you 80 years ago, I still have for you today. And after much resistance, God finally convinced him. But see, what I want you to understand is this. Moses forgot who he was. Therefore, he could not act as he should. Because he was destined to be... It's very easy for Moses to become intimidated because of the fact that he didn't know who he was. And when you don't know who you are, or when you forget who you are, it's very hard for God to get you to fulfill his purpose for your life. When you're always making excuses, saying, Lord, I can't do this. When Moses says, Lord, who am I? How many times have we asked that same question to God? When he's called us to do something. Lord, who am I? Let me, uh, let me share this with you. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Again, I don't have that on my notes. Maybe I do. I don't know. Matthew chapter 6. It's a very... Um, oh, great. Uh, go to... Yeah. Go to verse 20. Yeah, 5. Okay, that's good. Jesus says this. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus was simply saying, listen, don't worry about all these things, about what you should eat, what you should drink, or what you should wear. He said, don't worry. Don't worry. Look down in verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. And going back to what he says, he says, don't worry about your life, what you should eat, drink, or wear. Because he says, for all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Do you know that when you worry, you're taking on an identity? The identity is, Jesus says, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, you're taking on an identity of a practical atheist. Think about that. 
When you are worried about these things, you're taking on an identity of an atheist. Because listen to what Jesus says. For after all these things, the Gentiles who are unbelievers, who are atheists, seek all of these things. But he says, but your heavenly father knows already that you have need of these things. So basically what we're saying to God is this, Lord, I don't trust you enough to meet these needs for me. So what are you doing? You're taking on an, an identity that's saying, I don't believe God. And you stop and think about that. When you become afraid, you take on a new identity. You're saying, Lord, you can't protect me. Lord, you cannot deliver me. We need to know who we are. We cannot afford to forget who we are in Christ. That should mean more to you than anything else in this world. And I remember when I first got saved, I was so happy, so full of joy. I went out and bought the biggest Bible, the biggest Thompson chain they had. The king size version. And I carried that proudly because I was proud of who I was. And didn't matter if anybody laughed at me. I mean, I would go out witnessing out in the streets with this Bible. That Bible served two purposes. One, I always was ready to bring the word. Two, if I was attacked, I would use it as a weapon. Because <laughs> it was big enough to do some hurting. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We need to not define ourselves by what other people say, what other people do, or what other people call us. Here we have a story about Elizabeth. She had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Keep it here. So all through Elizabeth's adult life, she was called barren. Because she could not have any children. Now look down, skip down to verse 36. Now indeed, this is when the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and said, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her because she was called barren. Elizabeth Identity was the fact that she was barren because that's what they called her. The community saw her as a woman who could not have children. And the angel confirmed that, but yet at the same time the angel said, but she's conceived a child and she's six months pregnant. So the world may call you barren, but what does God call you? What is God saying to you? What is God saying about you? And you know how sometimes words can hurt, words can kill. And sometimes people say certain things and they can really cut deep. And sometimes people carry that. And then they begin to identify with that. Let me just tell you what the devil does. He likes to confuse our identity. And this is what he does. This is how he does it. He does it with thoughts. Because what it'll do is bring a thought to you. And then it'll bring it over and over and over 
and over again until his thoughts become your thoughts. And then when his thoughts become your thoughts, then you begin to believe in those thoughts. And when you believe it, it's in here. So when the thoughts come from here to here, then it begins to manifest and comes out here. And that's how the devil works. But see, that's why it's important that we fill our thoughts with the word of God. And find out, what does God say about me? Now, I know that person calling me a bonehead, but am I really a bonehead? Is that how I want to define myself? Is that what I want to walk around believing? No, I'm not a bonehead. I'm what God says I am. I'm a child of God. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not a mere man. I, I'm, I'm a conqueror. Listen, I've got to close. So one of the things about doing a series, I don't have to rush and I can take my time. So at this time, let's close our eyes. No one looking around and let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father God, for helping us to define our identity. Help us to know who we are. Father, to remind ourselves, Father God, that we are more than what people say we are. Lord, I thank you for everything you are and everything that you've done. Thank you, Father God, for redefining who we are. Thank you for helping us to keep our identity, Father God. And, and Lord, we thank you so much. And now, Lord, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you bless everyone that are here today. And Father, I pray, Lord God, that this word has penetrated into their hearts, into their spirits. I pray, Father God, that people are beginning to now redefine themselves through your eyes. Father, people are beginning to recognize who they really are. Father, if they've forgotten, thank you for reminding them. Father, if they don't know who they are, thank you for letting them know who they are. And Father, I thank you, Father, that from now on, they'll live life knowing always who they are so they can be who you are. And, and, and Lord, that they can be the very person that you call them to be. And they will fulfill your purpose and will for their lives. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father God, for making it clear to us. Thank you, Father God, that no matter what anybody say to us, no matter how people define us, Father, we look to your word. And we see what you say. And Lord, for this we thank you. In the name of Jesus.